Hello and welcome to This Climate Business, the podcast about turning the climate crisis into opportunity. Please follow us on social media and rate the podcast as it helps others to find us. I hope you enjoy the show. Hello, I'm Ross Ingalls. This Climate Business's very first podcast back in March 2020 was with EV Maritime, an Auckland-based boat builder with a mission. It wants to build electric ferries for the Waitemata Harbour and for the world. A lot has changed since that podcast. Most notably, EV Maritime and McMullen and Wing won a contract for two 24-metre electric ferries for Auckland Transport, which will hit the water in early 2024. That award is part of a series of announcements that over time will radically change Auckland's ferry fleet. With us to unpack these developments is EB Maritime CEO, Michael Eglin. Michael, welcome back to this climate business. It's starting to feel like electric ferries are about to get real. Is that what we're seeing? <laughs> yeah, I think, I think that's probably a fair statement. I think um, you know, some of us have been talking about electric ferries for a long time, um, and we're starting to see electric ferries become real. They've been getting real for a wee while in in um, types of ferries that we're not so familiar with here in New Zealand. So up in places like Norway and parts of Scandinavia, um, also in other parts of North America, we're seeing um, vehicle ferries crossing um, small waterways and crossing fjords and so on um, going electric. Um, and that's that's been where the electric boat um, uh, movement has kind of stepped off from. Mm-hmm. What's a little bit unusual in what we're doing here in New Zealand is developing electric fast ferries, the types of ferries that, that people of Auckland and, and people of Sydney and New York and San Francisco and places like that are used to seeing um, taking just passengers, no cars, mm. um, uh, sometimes over short distances and sometimes over much longer distances. Um, and, and that combination of going fast uh, and doing it over a reasonably long distance uh, is the thing which is... Um, new and and becoming real now, and right. so um, so if we get this right, we this city Auckland could potentially be a leader in a specific category of ferries. That's right, and I think that's that's kind of New Zealand's opportunity in the world is to be a leader in in a specific in specific areas, mm. and and this is an area which which we have a very real opportunity to be a leader in. Right. We're not developing a whole lot of deep tech here. We're not we don't have labs developing newfangled battery chemistry or anything like that. We're actually using existing technology from around the world and picking the best of it and pulling it together with the expertise we have in New Zealand around high-performance boats. Um, And high-performance boats, relatively small in the scheme of how big boats and ships can get, high-performance small boats um, is an area that New Zealand has particular expertise in and <clears throat> both in the design and in the construction. And, and that's a thing that we think New Zealand can go out and claim a, a, a place in the world in. Um, in a sense, it's almost reclaiming a place in the marine world, having, having had a big role you know, 20 or 30 years ago in the, in the construction of, of high-performance racing yachts. Um, you know, we, don't, we don't export a whole lot of those anymore. Mm. Um, we used to have quite a big industry in the production of super yachts, um, and and most of that industry is gone. There are a couple of really good examples still in business, but but most of the of the bulk of that industry is gone, and a lot of the focus of the New Zealand industry is moving into the commercial boat field. And and again, I think that the electric fast ferries um, is absolutely an area that New Zealand can play a, a leadership role in. Okay, so since 
You last spoke with this climate business. A lot has changed. There's been uh, Auckland has a climate strategy and there's funding, and the government this year came in with a bucket load of cash. And there are other parties as well, like Fuller's, for example, which are going down this road as well. So could you just sort of package that up for us, like what has changed? Yeah, I mean, <clears throat> gosh, I mean, so much has changed, really, if we, if we look in the big picture. And the likes of people like Auckland Council, I mean, their job is to make um, big plans mm. and, and big commitments and work out how to deliver on those commitments. And so, yes, I mean, you know, from those early kind of um, – political directions, I guess, and signing up to the C40s Accord and um, and the sort of Zero Carbon Act at central government level and so on. Yeah, that stuff's all very well, but it doesn't have a plan behind it. There's no, you know, and so then the next job was, okay, well, let's build a plan behind it. And Auckland Council, I think, did a terrific job of, of delivering its climate action plan and then filtering that down through its agencies, Auckland Transport and others. And all of that stuff takes time and we can be, Really impatient when we when and then the next sort of storm rolls through and we all jump up and down about climate change and our kids knee us in the ribs and say what are you doing about climate change, Dad or Mum? But I think when we look back on it, this stuff has happened. These this is a change we will we will recognise that we went through quite quickly, mm. um, a, a little late arguably, but quickly nonetheless. Right. Um, so so you know, in that context, you know that the. the the whole world is making this stuff real now. Some parts of the world are waiting until the technology already exists and then um, letting industry lead that transition. Other parts of the world are just legislating, mm-hmm. even when the solutions don't yet exist. Right. Legislating, providing the funding pathways. What we've got here in New Zealand is, um, uh, you know, I guess a complicated a situation that was kind of complicated by COVID-19. Um, we were um, making quite good progress with Fullers, who was the incumbent, um, the sort of largest of the incumbent ferry operators here in Auckland, towards um, towards uh, them buying some electric ferries. And that was kind of, um, you know, we'd been working with them for quite a long time and, and, and acclimatising them to what electric ferries meant. And, um, and I guess they, uh, you know, COVID, you know, they had quite a large exposure not only to the public transport sector, which which mm. obviously got beaten up with COVID, but the tourism sector, which just got completely sort of smashed. Um, so their kind of view on business risk and so on changed over time. Um, and there's all sorts of other kind um, large kind of commercial shifts going on in the way ferry services are contracted and and how vessels are owned in in that ferry service. Mm. And and that's a really difficult context for a private operator to suddenly go out and decide to spend tens of millions of dollars building boats. Um, Mm. And so, um, you know, all of this stuff was happening in the middle of COVID. Um, Central government's sort of identified what it thought were going to be the primary um, uh, economic challenges coming out of COVID and and, and put together the shovel-ready infrastructure package really quite quickly. Mm. Um, And and they... um, they did that. They built a structure around it. Um, we submitted an application under that for uh, electric ferries for for Auckland, and at that stage, Auckland and Tauranga, um, and and that was that was ultimately approved over a fairly long period of time. And we we worked quite closely with ECA, the Energy Efficiency and Conservation Authority, to to kind of I guess in a sense reframe that into something which um, uh, which had a little more focus than what we first put up and. Um, 
ultimately, that was that was we went through a, a number of due diligence phases and so on, technical and commercial and whatnot. Um, came through to the point where that was approved, but that funding was not complete. It was not enough to fund the whole of the first boats. Right. So then the question was, you know, what, what we'd originally put up was the proposition that government should own these boats, mm. and um, and we put up an application for that. Now, of course, we've all been through, there's been a bunch of sort of inflation and whatnot that's happened through this mm-hmm. period. And so, see, the amount that we originally suggested didn't turn out to be enough. And uh, So um, we went through this process and um, and and eventually the kind of the, the, the question that kept coming back to was, well, who's actually going to own these boats? And we, and we just said, oh, government should own them. Right. But, you know, that doesn't really kind of mean anything. When you know, It means a lot to, to, to somebody outside of government. But when you're in, in government, it's got to get a bit more specific than that. Right. Kind of went full circle, and that, we, and we took that funding to Auckland Transport and said, "Well, how about you guys own these boats? This is this is part of a movement that you want to take anyway." Which is, if I understand correctly, what's been decided: AT is going to own these two boats that you are currently building. Yeah, that's right. Um, so AT is going to own these two boats. Um, but what's also been decided, and what we've seen in the media more recently, is that AT is going to move towards owning all of the boats, or at least a large number of the boats. Um, and so, this is kind of a um, it's kind of about how AT goes about contracting its services each time each time the, the operator's contract gets renewed. Um, if those boats are sitting with the operator, uh, then then it's much harder for um, new operators to come into that environment and contract for the service because they can't just rustle up 20 or 30 boats out of nowhere. Um, and so... Um, you know, ATs said, well, you know, if we own these boats and we fund these boats directly and there's a bunch of cost and risk associated with them doing that, it's not it's not money for nothing. But if they do that um, and, and relieve the operator of that, then the operator's contract becomes more like a lot of our other, um, you know, like our train contracts and things. Right. Um, and, and Auckland Transport has a sense that they have more, um, uh, I, I guess, a more natural um, um, or, or, or a... a an environment that they're kind of more comfortable with when it comes to recontracting. So am I right that as of today, we have a decision that Auckland is going to buy no more diesel ferries and that by 2035 we will have transitioned to all electric ferries and that the funding is in place for this to happen, at least initially? Well, the funding's in place for that to start happening. I don't think the funding is in place for that to happen, to, to roll out through time. And it's, I'm, I'm sure there's some would argue that that funding should be in place, but um, I think that there is an element of this this exercise that that is about, um, uh, you know, it's, it's adopting new technology and there's, there's technology risk. And, and so, yeah, okay, IT could go out and get the funding to get on and roll this out over a 10-year period, but it's not really how their funding cycles work. So what they've got is they're funding to do what they're doing now and they've got a, a future trajectory that they want to follow. Um, and, <clears throat> and yes, that's a, a trajectory towards no more diesel boats. And, and you know, um, I think that's probably pretty realistic that we probably will see the last of the diesel boats leave the fleet in around 2035. And I'm not uh, sure that anybody's really going to miss them because they're – the difference between an electric ferry and a diesel ferry is chalk and cheese, isn't it? Well, it is. I mean, you know, from a passenger point of view, um, the passengers are going to love the passenger experience of being on a nice, smooth, quiet boat. Um, and I think they'll love the experience of a more reliable boat. 
But to say that no one's going to miss them slightly <laughs> understates the the um, the process that the operators and the public transport agency have to go through in understanding how electric boats are different. And, and, and we're the first to acknowledge that they are different and, um, and you've got to run them differently. You don't just fill them up at the gas station every couple of days and just run them like you, like you want to and then, and then find out when you turn up at the gas station that two days later how much gas you use. You, you're very, very aware of how much you're using and, and you've got to be much more planned in how you use the boats. And, and look, these ferry fleets are planned in how they use the boats, so it's not really a problem, but, but you know, it's going to be really important to charge the boats when you're planning to charge them and that the charging works. And that, and that as a system, the the network knows how to adapt when when something goes wrong and, and, a, and a charger doesn't work when it's supposed to. Well, how does the system respond to that and still deliver um, transport services to customers? That's a, yeah, these are all things that um, they're opportunities to, to deliver a better service and to deliver a more reliable service because at the moment it gets cancelled a lot due to breakdowns and things. But but the the way that you have to go about delivering that is different. So th- some people will miss the flexibility that yeah. um, that diesel offers, but but the benefits of the electric offer are very much more compelling. So um, I personally barely know the difference between port and starboard. So could you perhaps describe to my satisfaction these two new ferries? What would they be like? What would they look like? And what would they do differently? Sure, sure. Well. Um, for the Aucklanders uh, that, that are listening, uh, the, these ferries are about the size of the larger end of the Auckland transport fleet, but not as big as the Waiheke fleet. Mm. Um, they are a catamaran ferry. Uh, they're built out of carbon fibre, which um, there are some composite boats in the network at the moment, but most of them are aluminium. Mm. They're carbon fibre to make them last longer um, and to be more sustainable and to be lighter. Lighter means less power. Um, still needs a lot of power, though. Um, these will have water jets developed by Hamilton Jet in Christchurch, another piece, great piece of Kiwi technology. Um, these will have four water jets, so two in each hull, and um, driven by electric motors um, and very large battery banks. There's about 1.2 megawatt hours of batteries in each boat. So how many Teslas is that? Oh, gosh, um, putting me on the spot. I don't know how many <laughs> Teslas there is. It's a large you know, number like of Teslas. 10 or something, mm. more. Um, uh, I don't know what the, what, the, what the... I think a Tesla is about, uh, well, they have different sizes, right? But let's say 70 kilowatts. Well, 70 kilowatts, so it's about 20 of those. Right. <clears throat> um, near enough, something like that, 18 mm. or 20. Um, the, um, the... So, you know, that's about 11 or 12 tonnes of batteries mm. on each boat. And this is one of the reasons why we've got to build the boats out of carbon fibre because um, if you want to make a boat go fast, much like um, planes and cars and other things, you want to make them go fast, uh, you need to save some weight Mm -hmm. Um, because the heavier it is, the more water it's got to push. The more water it's got to push, not only the more energy it's got to use, but the more weight that it produces and so on. And so so we're building them out of carbon fibre and we're choosing lightweight components uh, in all the areas where we can, picking the the best of the equipment that we can. so these boats DC charge at the dock. So these will be plugging in at the dock with two cables, um, charging at over two megawatts, um, and um, they will p- charge for about five minutes uh, while, the, while the boat is loading and unloading passengers. And they'll do that through the day, and then there'll be times of the day 
when um, maybe when the during crew breaks and things like that when they'll take a deeper charge. So the, you do a, we do a lot of modelling to look at what the state of charge in the battery is going to be. And this is not a this is not a charge all night and run all day kind of a model. This is a this is a uh, opportunity charge all through the day. Mm. Um, and on that kind of basis, we're expecting to get a battery life of around ten years um, from these, and then those batteries will get to the point where they are um, moved into a second life on, on land side. They won't have as much capacity as they used to, so they kind of won't really justify their own weight quite as well as they used to, uh, and then new batteries will get put in the boats. <clears throat> Would they be possible, Michael, without the government funding that was announced earlier this year? Yeah, that's an interesting question. It, it's kind of a yes and a no, I guess. Um, our modelling says these boats are better business already. They're much more expensive assets to buy, but they're much less expensive assets to operate. And and you know there is a genuine return on investment for that. Um, that there is a genuine um, business case for that. Um, and, and it's 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 cheaper. There's it's not only about emissions. They're actually in this case with with electric fast ferries, they use so much energy. They do so much maintenance on their engines and oil changes and all that stuff. You're doing an oil change on their motors every couple of weeks. Mm. Um, the when you factor all of that through and then work out what it would be for an electric boat, there's there's quite a compelling economic case for why these are better business already. Mm. So from that point of view, you could say, oh no, no, there's no funding needed at all. But that would ignore the technology step and the and the the kind of process and adoption step that is involved in this. And if we look at, at Auckland Transport, I mean the this is the, the, they're not just buying some boats from from this technology company called Levy Maritime and this, and this shipyard called McMullen and Wing. You know they they've got to resource that. They've got to understand what they're building. There's an enormous amount of um, of I guess not not just project management, but there's a lot of um, change that it right. drives so, right deep into their contracting structure. Right. So there's a chunk of stuff that everybody is doing here for the first time. Absolutely there is. Mm. Absolutely. And that's and, going to be more expensive. Yeah, and if you look at, you know, it's interesting talking to um, the ferry companies, and, and Fuller's is quite involved in this. They're probably doing um, the most of all the ferry companies when it comes to to readying themselves for this electric transition. And, and their kind of terminology is they're saying, well, you know, we used to be a diesel ferry company. Um, now, now, they're being really clear. We're not now a diesel ferry company running a couple of electric boats. Mm. We're going to become an electric ferry company that's still running a few diesel boats. Right. And and that's that's the shift they've got to go through yep. to, to operationalising electric boats in a way that still delivers a really rigorous, busy ferry service. Because make no mistake, these, you know, this, is, this is high frequency... High use public transport. This is this isn't. There's nothing soft about a an urban rapid transit ferry network. These are these are busy assets, and and there's a lot of pressure on on that system to keep working. And and just like the trains, when something goes wrong, mm. there are ripple effects that that will last all day. So right. yeah, it's a major change. And so the funding, I think, is really important for that to to de-risk. And, and actually, realistically, what it's done is it's catalyzed a change that was going to happen anyway, but it needed to happen now. Mm. And it's happening now is, I mean, it's a bit flippant. Happening now is always an uncomfortable time for anything to happen, right? It's much <laughs> easier if things can happen tomorrow rather yeah. than happening today. But, but in this case, you know, everybody can see that these boats are going to work. 
But if nobody's naive enough to think that it's that every step of this journey is going to be an easy an easy one, mm-hmm. um, and it would all be much easier if if someone else could just do it first, and 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 then we could just let's just buy a bunch of those. Yes, um, but it, and it's not <clears> like that. Look, one thing that has changed very recently: we, we are recording this podcast the week after the local body elections across New Zealand, and Auckland has a new mayor and a new council. Does that make any difference to the work program that you're on at the moment? No, I don't think it makes a difference to the. I mean, we've got a we've got a contract we have to deliver to Auckland Transport. That, that's a there's a that that project's underway, and and um, I, I don't see that it makes any difference to that. Whether it makes a difference to the trajectory for um, for the city in terms of rolling out other electric ferries obviously remains to be seen. I think that um, that the um, the fact is that the city is going to need more ferries. It also has contractual commitments. You know, it's, it recently announced that it signed a, a contract with Fuller's in relation to, to their ongoing delivery of services, and that contract, as I understand it, involves the supply, you know, Fuller's being supplied with some boats. And so, so there's a bunch of kind of heavy... Investment in contracts that are that are in place, and that stuff that stuff that stuff will roll on. I think that the the piece that's not fully understood is, um, you know, as we sort of mentioned before, the funding isn't in place for the rest of the rollout. Um, so what is that going to look like? Right. Now we know that we've got a fleet of old boats, the reliability of which is is no longer acceptable, and um, so new boats are going to be needed. Um, I, I think that that the the wider trajectory towards electrification and particularly the fact that that we can show that electric is better business now already means that this is this is not just climate action it is climate action but it's not just climate action it's it's actually we need a fleet of new ferries what's the best business decision we should make for new ferries and we're not actually doing the electric ones because they're zero emission, we're actually doing the electric ones because they're better business as well as being zero emission. Right. So it, there's, a, there's a, a lot of layers of reason why they're a good thing to do um, and the, the right thing to do, and, and we are going to need some more ferries. So I think that, I think that there'll probably be, um, you know, there's a bunch of new people sitting around the council table who are going to need to come up to speed with mm. those things because they're going to presumably get asked for funding to be able to approve Get more of this stuff happening, right? But um, you're thinking that and they're going to question that. But, but I would, I would think that that would, um, you know, that the kind of business logic will will prevail on that, um, mm. and and it's not, you know, uh, yeah, you know, I'm sure they haven't been. You know, there's a lot of other stuff to brief the incoming mayor on uh, mm. beyond sort of electric ferries, and when the electric ferries mm. come up, I'm sure that they'll stand. So, so what I'm there. hearing you say is that even even were I a climate denier. I still, You'd still choose the electric anyway. ferry because it makes sense over the long term financially. That's right. You would, mm-hmm. um, yeah. And and it's and there's there's a lot of space between the the climate advocate and the climate denier as well. There's mm-hmm. the there's there's the realist in the middle that says, look, I I, I don't have the skills or or the, the the time to fully understand the science, but but I can see that there's some big global trends here. And, and if we look in the ferry space, these big global trends are, are happening now. I mean, the state of California recently passed legislation that says 
um, all ferries running less than a three nautical mile journey, which is a bit further than Birkenhead and not as far as Half Moon Bay and Hobsonville, um, have to be zero tailpipe emission by the end of 2025 mm-hmm. in the whole of the state of California. They don't have the solutions for that yet. Um, the, those those, those operators are fast. not... They're going to have to move fast. <laughs> yeah. Um, California is just the, the first to announce it. Um, so we're going to see these sorts of sorts of changes. Now, the, the reasons why they're doing it, again, it, it, there's, there's always carrots and sticks in this kind of stuff. And they, they've, got, they've got carrots, they've got funding for that stuff, and now they're, they're putting a stick in it as well. Um, <clears throat> the, um, uh, that may not be necessary in, in Auckland because it's sort of centrally owned, but, you know, there's, there's a the, – the, the, the funding is it needs to be there to enable the capex to happen because there is a shift there going from a low capex high to a high capex um, mm. structure. Mm-hmm. But I think um, I don't know what was well, I going to say. There, I don't well, know. So, so Help me C- out. California, <laughs> yeah, California um, brings me to what was what is our last question actually, which is what we're seeing is the dawning of a global market for electric ferries, and yeah. is, is that where? Every maritime is going to be. Yeah, it is absolutely. So, I mean, we we've um, uh, our business, I guess, covers at the moment two main areas, and we'll probably move into a third. So, at the moment, what we what we're best known for, and what 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 we've got a lot of publicity around, is is you know, developing standardised electric fast ferry that that um, at this point is a, a highly validated design that that can be adopted with confidence mm. and and one of the great things about this project and I think one of the kind of underlying um, uh, motivations behind supporting this project at government level is that is that there is a wider export story to it um, as, as well as its local benefits um, proving out these boats um, being able to being able to offer to a global market a standardized vessel that that people know will work. They can see it. They can touch it. They can feel how it works, and they can they can see the data on how it can be applied to their market. Easy to buy, in other words. <clears throat> Easy to buy. So, um, yeah, and we've got a number of opportunities um, that we're that we're developing on that right now um, uh, in Southeast Asia, in uh, the United States of America, and in Canada and in Australia. So, so you know, that's that's going to be a, a big part of our business. Will be um, enabling people to to build these uh, for their own local communities. The other part is consultancy, which is actually a sort of cart before the horse, really. It's, 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 it's helping people to understand what's involved in, in an electric operation. And I guess we leapt into this in the beginning thinking we were about developing an electric fast ferry, and there's an element of that to our business. But actually a big part of what we've done over the last three or four years is, um, is get really deep and personal about the... Auckland Ferry Network and a few others around the place, but you know, the, in terms of the funding and the project that's happening, the Auckland Ferry Network, what's going to be involved in in putting ferries into service, how to run a, a resilient and, and responsive and, and reliable network, what the economics are going to play out like, what the energy system's going to look like, how much charge is needed, what that means for the grid. All of these kind of questions, safety cases, what standards are appropriate. You know, there's a whole lot of stuff that that you kind of need to build up from ground level again. And and so we do that. We build a lot of tools around doing that. And that's a service that we offer to others. We've just signed a contract 
uh, in the last week um, to do that for a major global NGO uh, for a Southeast Asian um, city system. Um, and we're looking at that for an Australian city system and a couple of American ones at the moment. So, so this is this kind of consultancy line of our business is is I think going to become quite significant as we help people to understand what their journey might look like. That's not exclusive to application of our boats. It's actually using the tools that we've developed along our own journey for looking at ferry systems in general. It, it might be in some of those cases that our boat looks like a, a good solution or one of several good solutions. It might be that our boat's not the right solution. Um, it might be that something else has got to be developed. It might be something else already exists. Mm. Overall, I mean, our our vision is to decarbonise the harbour cities of the world. And, and when we talk about that, we're not just talking about offering electric boats. We're talking about helping people understand how to use boats to decarbonise their cities. And that's partly how to adopt electric boats, but it's also about how boats can play a much bigger role in the public transport networks. Because actually, if you look at this, the challenges that our cities are facing, um, you know, whether you're a, a climate denier or a climate activist, um, we've got to you know we've got too many people filling up roads. It's too hard to get around. It's we've got too many emissions from transport. We've got to provide better ways to move around. And our cities are growing faster than our road networks do. And we'll run out of land if we just keep doing it all with road networks. So so we've we've got to find in every sense of the world, more sustainable ways of getting people around our cities, better public transport systems that are more attractive and more people want to use and they go to the places that people want to go at the times they want to go. So it's actually that's more the thing that we're leaning into in this in the urban um, setting is, is how to help grow public transport uptake by delivering um, better ferries, more reliable ferries, ferries which are better business for the operator and they can run better and more frequent and more cost-effective services. Well, that's easy to say amen to. <laughs> we think so. Michael Eglin, thank you for joining us on this climate business. Thank you, Ross. Pleasure to be here. Thanks for listening to This Climate Business. If you like the show, please rate us as it helps others to find us. Ka kiti anō. Thank you.